0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Larry Evoy is a drummer, singer, and songwriter for Edward Bear, a pop rock trio who topped the Canadian and U.S. charts in 1973 with their hit Last Song. Peaking at number one in Canada and number three in the US, the band landed opening slots for Led Zeppelin, won a Juno Award for Outstanding Group Performance, and in March 1973 was certified as a US Gold Record. Almost most astonishingly, after spending years in the music industry grinder, Larry emerged having retained ownership of his publishing and now enjoys a comfortable living managing his own publishing company and tending to his ranch in Ontario. For the push-button radio compilation, instrumentalist, songwriter, and producer James Younger took on a version of Last Song. James is a multifaceted artist who, besides having his own solo release on Light Organ Records, is a member of indie rock band Yukon Blonde and is a Vancouver-based producer whose credits include the Zolas. In addition, James hosts his own podcast with fellow artist Johnny Payne called An Impossible Way of Life where they give their takes on classic albums and artists. You can find it wherever you stream your podcasts. Both James and Larry dove into a thoughtful conversation that hits on songwriting, touring, and recording. So, I hope you enjoy James Younger and Larry Eboy on the Push Button Radio Podcast. Mr. Bear. I'm here, I'm here. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. So it didn't pop up here, but when you called me last week, I thought it was fantastic that the caller ID said Canadian bear. <laughs> well, that's a corp- corporation, you know, that's the old uh, corporate identity. Ah, okay. Uh, this is Joseph. I've got James here as well. And uh, Larry, it's great to have you. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for inviting me. Hey, Larry, hey James, how you I'm doing?
2: Good. I'm really good. Can you hear me okay here? I just want to make sure. Uh, I've I can. It. Okay, great.
1: I can. And I, I thought you did a really nice job, too, by the way, on the last song. And oh. I wanted to ask
2: you, why did you do it? <laughs> Funny, actually, I really appreciate that. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, was, I think at the time I was really into, I, I kind of did like a sort of a 80s Elvis Costello version of it or something it felt like, maybe. But, uh, you know, the reason I did it was, pr- first of all, because the, the label owner who's... Um, who's putting out this, uh, compilation, he, um, he, he suggested it to me. I'm, I'm, I've lived in Canada since about 2005. So I hadn't grown up with that song. It's not kind of in the, I'm British. So it's not really in our cultural kind of canon like it is here. So, right. so, I mean, when I heard it, I was like, great. And also it was easy to learn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good one. I like yeah. it, yeah. Isn't yeah. that the sign of a good song? <laughs> easy to learn. It is easy to learn play. Well it is from a musician's point of view. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I wanted to ask you actually, Larry, that I read that you said mm-hmm. you, you always knew the song was gonna be a hit and I wondered what that what that meant. It just it's one of those it's not an arrogant thing. It was just one of well, those I, I didn't everything, everything arrogant.
1: Yeah. It, it just fell into place and was really um, what, what's the word? I don't know. Everything I wrote around that time period was an actual statement. It wasn't like, a, I'll make this up, I'll go away and think up something. It was always part of what was going on in my life, yeah. which is a little bit country to me. Um, but, um, okay, I forgot what I was going to say. So why did... Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, I don't know. Okay, so
2: sorry. Just why, Keep why going. You know, why, just why did you know... Why, well, I suppose. Oh, why was it a hit? Why because it know? just felt like it. It, it. it was one of those huge things.
1: And also singing it, well, I can remember very clearly singing it in the studio. Yeah. And actually putting, um, what would the word be? Like a wavelength on what I'm saying sure. so that it could reach really far. It could reach just as far as it, it could go.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you know what I
1: mean? Like it, it would yeah. just, re- and I think that's exactly what happened, that it, it hit wavelengths with people. You know, I would get, you know, notes and things saying, oh, this was going on in my life, and oh, it just hit, sure. you know, it's like the right wavelength to to catch a whole bunch of people.
2: Yeah.
1: And music to me is so, um, so interesting that way because you can have, pockets of people who, you know what I mean? Like you could have people who come to Toronto and and play Massey Hall only, which is 2,500 seats. That's pretty good. But, but never an arena. And that's okay. That's like, that's, you know what I mean? That's the wavelength they're aiming for and that's who they, and that's their audience. So
2: yeah. Were you trying to write a a hit song? I mean, I know that sounds like maybe a reductive question because all of us are kind of, but you weren't trying. Yeah,
1: I guess kind of is. A, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you want people to hear what you do, right? Sure. That That's always a part. You you want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I've I've met punk bands that it's almost like if you did that happen, that would be a bad thing, and then you'd be a sellout, you know? Sure. And that's kind of weird. Like we do it's almost a reverse yeah. thing.
2: We work in a kind of strange yeah. uh, profession where um, selling out is a. There's not many other, no other environments you can do that in. I guess what I mean is, <laughs> can you? Uh, can I mean can? You, I, what I, I suppose what I was passing from your, um, your kind of the, the suggestion that you knew when you wrote it it was going to be a hit. I, I I guess another question was like, can you? I don't know if I I guess like I would say, you can't really predict that. So you mostly can't
1: that's right. Yeah. That's true. But I don't know if you, like I grew up listening to, I guess, I guess it so. would be pop music. It wouldn't be really rock and roll. It would be, no. you know, early, uh, early stuff. Um, that, but that was played on AM radio. I grew up yeah. with AM radio. So I was listening to hits all the time. Of they course. were, you know, filtered out, squeezed down to the top 20 or top 40 yeah. and they repeat them and repeat them and you you get to hear them, and and that's that defined what was the hit to you. Mm-hmm. And I always really, really liked that. So it's even funny. when, as a band, sorry, please, sorry,
2: no, please continue. Sorry, I
1: was gonna, I was gonna say, even as a band, when we went through our first album, was way heavier than than the pop music that most people know Edward Bear for. Even then, I would always still like, like I never abandoned really liking popular hit songs. So I could listen to a song. It would come on the radio. and I go, oh shit, that is so good. That's a huge hit because it was so everything. It, it hit me on so many ways and it, it, you know what I mean? It had everything that it should have
2: to be yeah, you could, you could a really,
1: yeah, I guess you could sing along to it. Yeah,
2: exactly. I, I mean, but then the last song obviously is, is kind of, is, is written in that classic AM style yet it's, Nineteen seventy-three. I mean, you'd be competing with, you know, things like Springsteen and stuff are starting to happen. Rock's getting kind of bloated at that point, really. You know, so it's interesting. Did you benefit from AM radio? Is that what drove your? Is what that what drove last song?
1: Oh yeah, I would say for sure. Um, yeah, we we had already been through the whole early on FM radio thing with the original band and, um, and come out, you know, come out of that and, and went into more the AM, I guess, because, Oh, what's the word that once you understand what you like, it's pretty hard to separate yourself and say, I really like this. Sure and I'm not ashamed of that. Like I really, I didn't really like everything. There are tons of songs that were on AM radio that I really didn't like at all. I thought, was, they, I thought they had no substance or they just didn't, they didn't mean anything. You know, there, had no, there was no meaning. It was like a, a made up thing to be a hit record.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you think you and can that's tell also, that kind of, you can sort of hear that in people's voices in between the, in between the lyrics somehow.
1: I think so, but then sometimes that's not true, too. So I also realize I'm full of shit in a lot of ways because I've talked, and I can't remember who I've talked to, but I've talked to other writers about, you know, people can just make up stuff, and it, it still has all of the motion that should be there in a in a real, actual event. So, uh, you know, there's lots of ways to get there, I guess. Oh, by the way, yeah. I really liked your, I, I didn't know the name of the song that it was on a, the video that, that um you know, I could click on and look at sure. it was a, your nudist album, I think. And it was the, you know, the video for that. It depends on blonde. The, oh, a you come blonde, blonde thing.
2: Maybe? Yeah. That's possible. It's possible. It's
1: anyway, it was really, really good. I was very impressed Thank and you. it was see because that was so far out of what I've grown up with, or I, you know, that was my, my thing was always structured. The songs were really similar. They always had a bridge, they always had a you know there was this structure, and your structure just reached you a know, very long, different you know and went through different linear things along that stretch, and I thought that's really good, that's very, very cool.
2: I appreciate that. I also think that like I did learn to write songs in probably a similar way by listening to music. F- you know, within the kind of canon of, of popular music in classic rock. Like, so that is something that, you know, these kind of songs maybe that more recently, which are a little bit more experimental with structure are only because I spent probably the same as you years working out how to write and trying to write perfect pop songs. And, uh, you know, I really like the, the chase of writing a perfect song it's something that i'm still trying to do obviously i don't think you can do it but you kind of did one that's what's kind of interesting to me about it. it's like you kind of you have this song that did do that it's it's a it's a kind of perfectly crafted little pop song and it's and it did really For what well. it's supposed to be yeah totally yeah. It did exactly what it was meant to do and that must be really rewarding I guess
1: I mean, because I never stopped to think that. Thank you for saying that because <laughs> I never thought. Yeah, it's just perfect. Um, I guess it is rewarding. You know what? I was just listening to the other two days ago. A friend of mine yeah. said, "Oh, you got to look this up," and I realized I had seen it. It was um, Ray Davies from the or Davis, however yeah, you say, course. it, from the Kinks. Yeah. Love the Kinks. playing at the big, big outdoor, huge outdoor event. What was it called? Hyde Park. No to say something else. It was... uh, In England? uh, Yep. Like uh, Glastonbury? It had a big sign. Thank you, Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." And he was playing there and he was doing Waterloo Sunset, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm -hmm. And I Googled it because I thought, oh, I just want to refresh. You know, it's so big in in my mind. It was, you know, as soon as I heard it, I always loved it It as one of my favorite songs. A lot of people I know don't even know the song. And I, I'm going, are you kidding? It's like, the you know, let's just listen to it. It's so good. And it was such a good performance, so good, with the choir singing and all the people joining in the chorus. And it was like, oh, my God. So I had to Google it. And it went to number two in England, and it charted very well. And, I mean, this is from Google, charted very well in Australia and New Zealand, sure. didn't chart in the U.S. I couldn't believe it.
2: I mean uh, like Kinks, how can that happen? The Kinks famously, um, you know, were maligned because uh, you know as one of the sort of big four British bands or their chances were kind of scuppered because they had their visas to America declined, you know, in the late 60s, didn't they? So I think what they did is they retreated kind of into their Englishisms and their kind of the village green kind of idea and Arthur and Waterloo Sunset, maybe it's just a bit ubiquitous with you know Written. i always think that when you're talking about i think ray davids is you know one of the best songwriters just about period i think the like and what Sunset says and an astonishing song but i also think it's amazing how he was only about 23 or something when he wrote that that's the so worldly, yeah, such a worldly man at that age which is yeah incredible. yeah it's a beautiful song that
0: kind of it's interesting you mentioned that idea of um like someone playing Massey theater and not going the arena and, and the kinks are having success in England, but these little microcosms that art can find a life in and you'll have a song or an artist that creates such noise and vibrancy in a specific community. And then you go down the street and nobody's heard of this person or nobody's heard of that song. And it seems even more prevalent today. Um, it's it's funny that you're bringing up examples from 30 years ago, but um, that concept is, is four years like, ago.
2: <laughs> you know, you know, Larry. If you want, you know, we can go over to London. It's really easy to have a pint with Ray Davis. He's always around. He's, I, he,
1: you he know, was, I heard that, and I can't. Yeah. I can't remember if my son told me. My son has a band in in Europe, uh-huh. uh, like an old, really back to rock and roll sort of thing. He just loved old rock and roll. Yeah. So he he has a band that does old rock and roll songs. Although he ch- he has his own lyrics, like. There really are probably only about three or four of the early rock and roll songs. You know what I mean? The same changes, yeah. the same everything. Here comes the yeah, here comes the, uh, here come the yeah, yeah, and it's, it's the same. But so he's been over there and done really well in in London and outside London. And um, I think he might have said that he saw Ray in a pub or a friend of yeah. his did and was so excited. You know, yeah. Like, seen, oh seen my god,
2: no, he's a grumpy old man. <laughs> he's a... yeah. oh, was he grumpy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's actually a, his. He has a studio. Uh, famously called Conk Studios. He has his own studio and you can record there and it, it's just on, it's in a place kind of called Crouch End and you, my friend used to live next door to it. And uh, and this is a true story with Ray Davies that one time we were in my friend's garden and we started hearing acoustic song, versions of kink songs and he was just in the back of his studio in the garden just playing Playing Waterloo Sunset and Days and Picture Book, well, couldn't believe well. it. We we just stayed really stayed really quiet and just stayed in his garden listening for as long as we could because it was a sort of magical moment, really. But
1: that's so cool. You know what? Which reminds me of of the fact that I swear every musician is the same way too. Um, people people could idolize you as a musician or, or be really impressed with you, right? You know, after a gig, they might come out and go, that was so good, you know, I really, 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 and, and, you, and you, thank you, thank you, that's really nice, thank you very much. But then when you see somebody who you idolize, you're like gushing all over them, you know, it's like, oh my God, that was so good. Yeah. Everybody has a hero, right? Everybody has a hero.
2: Who were who your heroes? Uh,
1: probably anybody who, who did early stuff buddy holly i would sing along to buddy Holly's songs to um try to sing along to the everly brothers couldn't understand harmonies at all you know i loved the idea of it but couldn't understand it you know just all the early stuff like that and and then people along the way too i would hear a song and just think that is you know mind-blowingly good it's just what it is
2: and then in the 60s though when you play in, you know like what what kind of who did you sort of the community in the scene like what bands did you think were really pushing the envelope there you know because it's obvious like looking back we we kind of have our own it's all written the history is written you know it's like dylan and the beatles i mean who to you was really at the top level because you'd have been there and have been around it a little bit Well, I mean, obviously
1: the Beatles were huge just age-wise for me. That was I think I was 18 and saw them in Toronto. They played in Toronto. Um, And the the phenomenon of them was amazing, like stunning. Just the energy they were creating. They were making this energy happen, you know? And it was back in flashbulb days, you know, when you'd have a little home camera with a little flashbulb. It would pop, you know, and you'd throw it out and pop. And I'm looking at them and barely hearing them because of the screaming. And it's like strobe lights going off all around this arena like just constantly and they're all these little individual pop 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 pop. they're taking these pictures which are never going to turn out they're so far away but it was so impressive to me i mean besides the fact that they sounded so different from north american bands i have no idea why they just had that you know a different way of doing stuff Mm -hmm. and um and 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 that was a huge, huge, by the way, they, they're another example. They didn't get release in North America right away. They had trouble getting released. Really? I don't know if you knew that. The Beatles, yeah, they were I mean, on, I know they that's... had a single put out on a small label and, and, you know, a
2: couple of things before Capitol picked them up. I mean, I know that there was a big, they, they ground it out real hard in, you know, in Europe and and England. I mean, if you look at their early, especially if you look at the live at BBC stuff, I mean, they're playing 300 shows a year and every other minute they're on the radio doing kind of choreographed bits and stuff on the BBC. Stuff, yeah, yeah. Which, um, damn hard work. I mean, they're all so young. I suppose that's why speed was invented in the early 60s. <laughs> all, these, all these rock and roll guys. I don't know how else you'd be able to do it. How would you get through that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you live on a farm now, so it's like you know you're out yeah, to pasture, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> exactly. Speed is not. A, no, it's not even a. Yeah. Well, So, um, how did how did you get signed? How did it start for you? If you don't mind me asking, it's very interesting. This, stuff, we, by the way, Larry. Well, because stuff's so different now, right? Stuff
1: stuff is so different. I learned that from my my son. I mean, he he got a deal with. An independent um, label in in England, Dirty Water Records. I don't know if you know them. They're like a
2: no, I'm not sure.
1: Um, but but the deal and how they got paid, and he's asking me, wow, well, you know, do you want to look at the contract? And, and he's describing it. It was so different from when you signed to a label, and this is how much you get per record, and you know, da 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 da. It was all laid out, and it's not that way with him. It's I don't know how many different ways of doing it there are now, but he makes money by they give him records, right? A certain percentage instead of having to audit their books on percentages, he oh, gets I a percentage see. of the records that are made and then they sell them. So okay. I thought, boy, that's brilliant. The record companies back in the day would have loved that because they never have returns, you know, they'd never well, have a problem with that. <laughs> so we, we, we got signed. Everything is, I think, um, Luck always as well, like right place, right time, bit of luck, you, you make know, as your well own, as talent.
2: You make your own a little bit. And yeah,
1: you do. You gotta. You gotta be there. You gotta. Yeah. yeah, wake up and say I'm gonna do more. Um, and it took a long time. We're pushing and pushing, trying to get signed in Toronto, which was really the center of. I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but BC would, would be uh, well, not no, happy with got that. Got but it was a center and, of know? music.
2: Yeah, you're on yeah, Yonge yeah. Street. I can, I can, I've, I've, I've seen the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
1: we kept trying to get the head of Capitol or the A&R man from Capitol, the artist and repertoire guy to see us, you know, come and see us. And, uh, with this without management either, so without somebody pushing for you, you know, bugging them, oh yeah, we're playing this, we're doing that. And oh yeah, sure. I'll oh, come down. And then finally he saw us do a TV show on CBC. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they like to get kind of you know new bands that nobody had seen. And um, he went, oh, God, that's the band that keeps bugging me. So he decided to sign us. We had almost signed with RCA, did a, a demo with RCA Records. Yeah. And um, I don't know if there was anybody else we're looking, looking for. And Capital was looking to sign a rock band. And that's what they did. They said, well, you know. That, that's you guys. So, and then they put their own, you know, corporate uh, energy behind it, and that really helped. Like Matt, so it does it was pretty help.
2: Cool. It does help. I think that that. I mean, you're talking about your son. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in my mid-thirties, and I, you know, my my record deal with my band, at least, you know, which is, you know, a little bit below Massey Hall size, but you know, we played, we have played there, so. We, it's so oh, good it's kind of a you know it is an independent record label but the, the the deals that we signed because we've been doing it for a while too they're they're structured more like traditional record deals you know with album advances and auditing and recouping and, and that kind of stuff um, right right. but yeah I mean looking at way even even the difference generationally between you know my generation and younger kids now I mean I think that that's been blown wide open I I mean it was always similarly for me about you needed a label, you needed an agent to be able to even get a gig, really, to tour, you know. And those things really unlocked a lot of things for me, too. I don't know how people do it these days because, you, well, you use the Internet and you can kind of do it, but I think it's all, it's a bit Wild West now, where it was still a, still quite traditional when I started, too.
1: Well, yeah, and, and the the industry apparently has just spread so in so many different ways and so many different ways of doing things right and yeah. and the fact that everybody can do it like you can yes stop a kid on the street and say can you record music sure yeah you know well I I do mean, that on the weekends or whatever
2: I, you know? I can yeah i mean i'm literally i mean i have a studio but i'm in a, i'm in my closet at my house right now and i've got everything <laughs> i need in here to make a record i mean you know yeah, actually, yeah. i was i watched a you know, Steve Miller, right? Yeah. Yeah, I watched a, a sort of classic albums um, of Fly Like an Eagle the other day. And, uh, you know, I've always liked that record. I think actually it's kind of yeah like what you're talking about. I mean, he, I think he's, he's listening to AM, he grew up listening to AM music and, you know, there's this FM radio thing happening and he's kind of like, you know, listening to what's happening in the early 70s and maybe just making a, slightly conscious decision to like I think I know I think I know maybe like what the radio needs you know yeah uh, yeah and I I really related to that and but I also loved that he made most of it at home like the technology was just allowing you in the early well 75 it is to have it, he had an eight yeah. track in his in his front rooms. So he he did the beds in a studio, you know. He got a ripping band in, you know, ripping drummer—the guy you need if you want hits, you know. And uh, I think he did it. Well, it would have been in California. I can't remember the studio. And then he he took him, you know, fifteen months, and he just did all the overdubs, worked out the vocals, and did it all at home. And I thought, God, that sounds like how people make music now, you know.
1: Yeah, but boy. He did a really good job. I mean It was
2: Yeah, it worked really well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, because you know, along the way, there have been people who put out CD, not CDs, uh, cassettes. Remember, yeah. what was the band that did something on a cassette? You know, and it was pretty good. It was like shit. That works okay. I mean, I guess
2: like Nebraska is a famous record, like a four-track kind of recording. Bruce Springsteen, Nebraska, if that's what you mean, like a kind of like recording on. You know, little task yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, So, did you you had a studio at some point yourself?
1: Yes, and I took it apart recently because um, we were renovating our house and <laughs> take to, to everything out of it. Um, and I find studios make me crazy. Actually, I like it in one hand because I like to, I like the idea of producing things, but sure. I don't like the the technical um understanding that i don't have you know what i mean like you run into a wall and you go how do i do that I Shit, i don't
2: completely, know completely completely agree with you on every single point that you just made i uh, i like uh, uh, i think that i've only started producing and mixing and engineering a little bit just to kind of extend the amount of opportunities that i get in you know into my 30s you know kind of thinking mm-hmm. like well you know i've maybe the days of playing 150, 200 shows a year are kind of behind me. Maybe I I need to kind of (laughs) extend my portfolio. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's tiring. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, uh, or at least maybe I can do it a little less. Um, also, um, you know, our band or the band I'm in that, you know, kind of pays the bills somewhat is, uh, you know, we're, We're kind of just the Canadian CanCon kind of like we're kind of limited to that, you know. We've not really tried, but we've not really had any like major success anywhere else. So there is actually a limit to really what you can do with that touring-wise. But right, um, I you know I I can't. We've we've toured. I mean, we always tour in Europe and the States, but it's it's not really generating much income you know it's uh it's always uh how do you you do it how do you do it (laughs) i mean how do you like how
1: do you end up in europe how do you end up just saying we're going to go do that
2: i mean you record label agents you know reaching out to I suppose subsidiaries are like people who have, you know, Joseph would be the person to ask. The other guy on the call here, he works at a record label. I just go where I'm sent, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, but uh, but in terms of, I, I, you know, the recording studio stuff, did you find um, having your own studio beneficial to your like work productivity? Or do you think that it made you um, lazy because you weren't paying for it?
1: Boy, oh, that's an inter- That's a very interesting point. Um, I don't think it made me late. I, w- I didn't think of it that way at all. But I do remember thinking of that when we had signed to Capitol yeah. and we were doing the first album, and it was, I think the budget was twelve thousand dollars, which was a ton to me.
2: That's a lot, actually. And uh,
1: you know, yeah, back then, but you know, but now would be like you know, spit in the bucket there. Sure. Um, and I, I would be in the studio, and we were pretty broke. I mean, you know how you can be like, we got a record deal, we got no money. Yeah. Um, I, I had to bring my lunch, you know. I'd, have, I'd make a sandwich back home and bring it to the studio so we could eat it while we're playing. And um, and I'd be thinking of how oh, God, we're we're you know kind of wasting time here, and this is costing them sixty dollars an hour, you know, just sure. for capital to pay that.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Ooh boy, he make you sweat, yeah. Um, So, I I never had attention on after I got over that real early. But I never had attention on um, what I was saving. Or the only reason I liked having a studio is to because I could do other people, like record other people. Sure,
2: yeah.
1: I did nothing. I don't think I've ever. Man, maybe a couple things demos of my own. but doing other people because you could hear the whole thing that you want to hear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, if we did this, you know, and if we did that and this would become that and uh, to get close to that was always fun for me.
2: It's all about getting as close as you can um, without starting to have a really bad time, you know?
0: I was going to say, I think (laughs) anybody that that goes to the effort of building uh, their own studio is probably by nature, not lazy
2: um but <laughs> so when you built your studio larry like what are we talking about what let's talk a bit of gear here you know We're, i'm nerdy i don't know if um, I do with
1: you sure oh i love equipment but um Ooh, it, it, it was nothing it was nothing great it was um uh, a chi, no, is it a kai yeah i think sure. a kai 12 channel Um, It was a combination of uh, analog sliders and um, digital recording onto a disk or onto a hard drive, and then you could copy it to a disk. But you could do everything on this unit, right? I still have two or three of them because they keep breaking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you could could do multiple. You could do 32 tracks on it. And I would sit there and look at it and go, son of a bitch. You know, the Beatles would have killed somebody for this back in the day for them, right? They're doing... you know, four track, eight track, and and you've got like all these tracks available. Mm-hmm. Now they were doing really smart things like speeding the tape up so that it sounded so freaking
2: good. All bouncing as well. Quality yeah. wise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All the things they did. Um, so I, that's mostly what I used. I really liked that because I could not make the switch to computer. I couldn't do it mentally. Yeah. Yeah, it's just too digital for me. You know,
2: I think that like it's changed the, the technology's, obviously like changed the way in which we we write songs I, the best f- example of that was um this is susan collins who she was pr- prince's engineer famously on kind of a lot of his really famous stuff and she'd talk about how they had a 24 track you know that was like the height yeah. of the technology at the time and you know they'd come in and do a song and you know drums bass, guitars, you know, whatever else. They'd they'd leave four or five tracks at the end for him to do five different vocals that they could comp through. But, you know, if they got to, you know, that, if, you know, end of the day and it didn't sound good, you know, it was because there's something wrong with the composition, you know, and they'd go back to square one and rewrite the song. Whereas now you have a hundred, well, infinite amounts of tracks you can use and you can throw literally shit at a wall for as long as you want. Uh, you can you know you can you can take parts apart you can move it around I mean I don't and I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing I think it's uh, to me it's really interesting to like I've been thinking recently actually about limiting myself massively you know to maybe 16 tracks something like that
1: you know and that's I was going to say that that, that, that that's sort of, that's the thing about computers that bothered me too. I have enough tr- trouble keeping track of 12 to 15 tracks, you know, and that's just sort of bare bones if you're going to put a lot of drum mics on and stuff. And, and um, you know, to have this infinite number, but then I read stuff in a recording magazine of the guys who do the Um, monster, monster things like, like, um, even Broadway shows where they have these, so many microphones that people are wearing, so many tracks that they're doing, so many everything and they do such a good job with it and so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't seem to have to think, they just do stuff and snip, move, you know, shift to that and they have assistants who do stuff
2: and set it up for them for the next day. Totally. Well, and tablets, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, okay anyway. well, how can I, I'll switch gears you know so you wrote Last Song and it's about you know it's it's, it's about a girl isn't it like you know leaving your lights it off, is yeah, yeah, yeah. does yeah. she know does the girl know did she did you ever tell her oh yeah oh yeah 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 so she knows it's about her oh yeah well it's, it's there fantastic. were so many songs about her oh really well
1: this sort is- of I guess yeah it was a, like a you know yeah went on went through a whole range of you know but uh, on the on the one hand, I have to say it was also um, bullshit too, from a point of view of you know stop moping about here, buddy. You know, come on, you know, this yeah, is well,
2: this yeah, is not going to
1: work out. You know, give it up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I understand. I mean, how old would you have been when you wrote that? Um. Uh... Who at twenty seven, maybe? Yeah. Do you relate to that guy? <laughs> like, do you relate to the lyrics in the song, or do you think, man, he should have just, he should have got, he should have figured it out sooner, you know? Or did the song? Should have figured it out sooner. Did the song work? No, it worked, and yeah, yeah. And there were there were
1: two, a couple more after that too, for God's <laughs> sakes, you know.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway,
1: I don't know. I yeah. It's mm-hmm. just. I think I think songwriters. Now you're probably guilty of this too, right? That you take stuff from life. You 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 don't you don't steal it from people, but you you not steal ideas. You just you know what I mean. You're reaching into life, and it could encompass somebody who's there. Yeah. And you're gonna grab something, and and they they're gonna go, whoa, holy shit! You know, you just borrowed part of my beingness, if you will. And uh, what happened here? But that's what you do as as a songwriter, like a poet used to do, I guess. Same idea.
2: Yeah, I think you you kind of you have to do that. I mean, it's uh, it I don't know. Talking about Ray Davies, I mean, he he's the best at it. One of the best at it, maybe his observational kind of songwriting about people. You know, doesn't talk about himself too much. Actually, mostly talking about other people. But you know, those vignettes make those songs. Make you—that's what makes you go back to them, I think, and listen again. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? and uh, and the you know, music
1: too, the, yeah. all the parts to it that that emphasized all everything that was going on. You know, it was just so
2: good. Yeah. But I mean, last song—you probably wrote it on an acoustic guitar, I'm imagining. <laughs> you know, it's three chords, isn't it? Just... No, 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 no.
1: Sorry, sorry. I'm just—I so... don't play any instrument. I play drums, so that would be rude yeah, yeah. to say no instrument. But yeah. I would always write songs in my head, like just sing it to a, I have to sing it to a keyboard player because I didn't even play a keyboard. But Brilliant. I did have a piano, so I could try and learn. Okay. And I did did find the chords that I wanted, like the sequence of how that went. You know, I yeah. could do that because it was really basic. Yeah. And the only thing that I changed was I, I don't know. I should tell you the story. It's not that great a story, but it's a story. You know Terry Jacks. You know Terry Jacks. You have to know.
2: Yeah. Seasons in the Sun. From yeah.
1: Seasons in the Sun and, and a whole bunch of other. Well, the Poppy family. For sure. Poppy family. Poppy was family. Yeah. Great, yeah. Great, great, great His wife band. had a great voice. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Fucking, really
2: good. They're a really fucking good band.
1: An interesting um, um, structure of the songs if you listen to what he does instrument wise on the records, too. Anyway, um, there was a point where he was maybe going to produce some songs. Cool. you know, for capital for us. And Terry was, and so I'd be in touch with him on the phone and, um, he wanted to do seasons in the sun. Yeah. He'd been trying to do it with the, the Beach um, boys, I think Beach boys of all people. Yeah. 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 It didn't work. Um, and I'm saying, I knew the song and I really liked the original song. The original song was a French actually. Oh, the,
2: the Jacques uh, Brel song.
1: Jacques Brel. Yes. Jacques. Yeah. Yes. That's right. We, oui, oui. we, wow. and, um, it was almost a folky song, but it was also, anyway, I liked the, the original song. And it didn't work out. He, you know, the things with, between him and Capitol it wasn't gonna work out, it wasn't gonna happen. So uh, last time we talked on the phone, I said, yeah, but I, it's okay, you know, go, go away and do it. He said, I'll probably do it myself, season in the sun. And I said, I wrote a song, and then I sent him the song. He said, great song, last song, um, drop it a half a step. Interesting. And I did. He was
2: right. Yeah, he was exactly right. Uh, And that was, you think that that made the difference? I think it made the difference for me singing, for sure. You know,
1: and maybe I would have figured that out on my own. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I was going to ask you something about producers. You, I've also read a thing that said you did everything in the last album, or like as a band, you did it sort of together, Uh, deciding what you're going to do
2: yeah without uh, a
1: producer yeah
2: yeah we kind of took it uh it's pragmatic i think this but we just decided to you know me and me and jeff who's the singer who's kind of the, the the main singer in the band we just kind of decided to take the reins because um i think we were thinking about our futures too and we wanted to spend we're very fortunate that you know we do get record advances and stuff like that and we just decided to spend the money on gear, you know, and do, and just, and just kind of set ourselves up for uh, the future. So we, I, and when we'd worked with producers in the past, we weren't really working with, you know, it's not like we had like full specter in there or, you know, George Martin or something. It was real. They, we, they were mostly engineers slash co-producers with us. So it was once we didn't need the help with all the kind of nerdy stuff, the, you know the engineering and you know learning about microphones and all that kind of yeah nerdy stuff um yeah yeah we just decided that um we could do it ourselves and uh and it was it's been it was extremely liberating it's been a really really great couple of years um and i think that um i don't know if you know, outside of you know not trying to be it's very hard to be objective about the music but um outside of You know that the actual feeling of making it and releasing it—it's been much more—it's been—it's been been much more euphoric and sort of vindicating than than anything I've ever worked on, and it it makes me excited. I'm actually just going to go down and work on some stuff today because I can now. You know, I've just got the ability to it. Yeah. So that having my own studio has been a revelation. I wish I'd done it a lot earlier, and and maybe I just didn't have the confidence. I think possibly to, to take that on, you know, but now I've done it once. I feel like I can do it again.
1: That's the way to do it. Yeah. 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 Did you find that producers in the past were, um, ham handed a little, you know, like, like wanted to change things too much for you for what you wanted or did you always have enough control that you could just yeah. go, no, nah, I don't want to do that.
2: We didn't, uh, we didn't, I've never really been in that situation. But um, I wouldn't mind trying that out, you know. But no, we've never really been in that situation Um, in my like, in in my kind of, you know, actual career, like early on in your kid or younger and, you know, people. But, um, and I probably would have done better to listen to people at times, actually, as well. It's, I think it's a two way thing. (laughs) I think that, you know, like, you know, maybe if Terry Jacks had been hanging around, I would have, you know, I would (laughs) have. been you know uh uh, famous by now i'd have had a hit you know a big hit like you um well
1: the um but the funny thing is terry really could have shown a lot of people stuff but i think he just got stuck with the you know the too too poppy label um but his his production i think was really interest interesting would be can, the word unusual can, interesting
2: it can happen and that's getting that goes back to your kind of the, the the look of it to some extent i mean it's like yeah you're saying you can just your circumstances sometimes can can uh you know you could release the best record ever and you can release it on the day that john lennon dies and no one's going to care about it cuz everyone's paying attention nobody ever hears yeah but yeah and that, that can absolutely just happen, you know and in fact, there was. A, I was reading actually about uh, it. It was uh, Sylvester Stallone's son was recording with Nielsen Klaus Vormann, um in you know a, a record, and this was when and John Lennon died when they were in within the studio. I was just talking about this last night with a friend. So you know. Nielsen and nothing Vaughan. ever happened with. No, no they just, they just yeah. reached, for, reached for the coke, you know. And they'd, they'd been like years of sobriety, and they were like, "Well, John's dead." I mean, we're not making a record. Oh my god! You know, so these things can happen. I think you know, but so maybe yeah, Terry, yeah. in a different way, it's like, yeah, he just kind of, oh, or maybe he was defined by the m- major success of Seasons in the Sun to some extent.
1: No, because that was later. That was his most his what would be the more this the tail song? end of yeah. stuff that, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I think
2: yeah, he told Cole me some neat group.
1: stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause there were so many hits before that, that, um, I was just playing one for my wife the other day and she said, I love that song. And she loved the quirky part. There's, um, Oh God, what song is it? Uh, that's where I went wrong. Da 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 da
2: da 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 da. And this, this is old buzz is, is this a, it's kind uh, of a country thing is this a poppy family thing, or is this prior to that yeah poppy family
1: yes exactly um it, but there's a part in it where. It's like a clickety clack. It almost sounds like they're using spoons, which I wouldn't put it past him. You know what I mean? Clickety clickety click. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she, so here's my wife who doesn't know anything about nerdy stuff like that. Like could care less, but really liked that sound and that it that it made feel like you were on a bus rolling down the road. Too, were, you know, which is I think exactly what he
2: tried thought, to do. I think of them as being pretty psychedelic. The Poppy Family. Though, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I mean, isn't that fair? Could be. You know, tablas and, you know, stuff on songs, a yes. lot, of, lot of organ and, you know, Where Evil yep. Grows. That's a good one. That's a good song.
1: That's true. There you go. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. got
2: a bit of a zombies vibe, actually. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> we could go on and on. Can we just get off of bus? Well, I, I mean, I could actually. <laughs> I really could. I could talk about this. I could talk about this shit all day. I mean, it's—it's uh, it's, it's funny, yeah. I mean, but it's I'll Go a, on. Go on. I
1: mean, you mentioned one thing which I was thinking about the other day as well. You mentioned advances. See, uh-huh. and that's part of your life. We never got an advance for anything. Sure. Interesting. And so that, how did it work? I know people had heard said that ahead of time. People said to me, what? What are you talking about? And it was just one of the things It was never offered. Mm-hmm. There, part of our deal was really good because capital paid for all the recording. Sure. The only, the only thing we had to pay for were musicians, which at times could be expensive. But, but you know, I mean, the overall cost of an album can be really high when you put in all of that time and you you know, the production costs, whatever. And we didn't pay that. So that was really good. And I always felt this sort of, well, what's the word you earn, what you're going to get, like don't take it ahead of time. Don't, you know, what if you just go do the right thing, make what you you're going to make, and then you should earn everything you should earn. And it worked out on one hand because I would watch, I mean, you know, there, I don't know if you noticed the time when labels started dropping people, like Warner's dropped, um, oh,
2: Brown Eyed Girl, um, oh, Ben Morrison. Morrison. Yeah, but that's that, because he's gone mental, I mean, recently, hasn't he? He's, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's a good point. That's
1: a good point, too. But you know what I mean? It was sort of like stunning to me. It's like, oh, my God, this guy is like... Yeah, you know, an icon of icons, and of and he just got dropped by his label because they came up with the thing of, okay, we're going to give him two hundred thousand dollars. I
2: see,
1: and we're not going to make that back. Nah, we're not going to do it. And then they just yeah. leave it, right? Yes. So on the one hand, I always felt good about that, never having to be, um, I don't know, catching up on on money that was owed. But on the other hand, didn't do a lot of things because it would be. Uh, you know, Capital so, wanted us to play in Los Angeles, and and I said, "Well, so who's going to pay for that?" I see. No, <laughs> and they kind of went, "Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Well, we will. We'll we'll yeah, do that planned. too. Yeah,
2: we'll I've, do that." I've been in very similar situations to that, and you know, we're we're actually kind of any we've actually recouped on all of our advances too. I mean, they've always been kind of like that is so good. Cur- we've yeah. kind of been quite careful, I think, with with them, and um, but. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I kind of agree. So, I mean, I guess another thing that maybe has changed, and I think I've been very lucky with this, with with the record labels and, that I've worked with and, and, and stuff, is that I see a lot of people who, like you say, like they don't really get the opportunity to develop as artists on labels. They have like one shot. If it doesn't work, like they're out the door, you know, the bottom line is kind of like whether they make money or not. Whereas, you know, I'm... You know, assuming it looks like you had a few years before you had your big hit, you know, and uh, absolutely, so you yeah, were yeah. kind of allowed to develop, I suppose. You know,
1: yep. And along the way, though, you start sweating a little. I know. Oh, no. Yeah, I, it would be a nice thing if there was no pressure on artists too. They could just be. Yeah, who they want to be I guess that's true for a painter as well I mean that's true for everybody
2: but if you just be who you want to be and you know some artists do that you know you might end up living in a sand pit you know like Brian Wilson (laughs) doesn't always work out living in the sand pit you've got such good phrases (laughs) (laughs)
1: well
2: um but, you know, that must have been quite vindicating for you. You know, if you started a band in the mid-60s and, and, you know, 73, yeah, you must have been sweating a little bit by 1972, thinking, where's my, you know, where's my hit, you know?
1: It had gone, it had gone up and down. See, the missing factor here is the first album we did, yeah. they pulled a single off it, and it was a Canadian hit. You, Me and Mexico.
2: I was going to ask you it about that. It was totally,
1: so. totally different from all the other stuff on the album. Um, but it was, a, an actual song. I mean, it was there. I was, you know, making another statement about some, a different girl. Um, and it was a Canadian hit, which was really good for the record company, like right out of the box. I go, Oh, great. We do the album. We pull a single, we get airplay, you know, and we sell some records and then, uh, you know, things are going well. And, um, and then they do another album, and then eh, did we pull a single off of that? Yeah, there was a song called "Masquerade." Have you ever heard that? With uh, that, yeah, "Masquerade," a that was guitar song. part on it. Yeah, same thing. You know, did pretty well.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, didn't do "Killer" great. Um, U.S was interested in it, but they actually apologized. The, the A&R man from Capital US apologized one time, said, I'm really sorry about that song. That song should have done much better. Mm-hmm. Um, they had um, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, what's her name, uh, signed to Capital, and they were working her really hard. And they just ignored, in uh, year or you know, you well, they like, can't do everything. Well,
2: 1967, 68.
1: No, well, there. That would be after that. Sixty. Yeah. Helen, ready. Sixty-nine was the first. Helen, ready. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Was the so they the were world working
1: world. her and didn't work the song. You know, so that happens yeah. too in the corporate yeah. world.
2: Was um was America always the holy grail? You know, back then as it still is now.
1: I guess so. Yeah, I. Yeah, you know, I was a little bit leery of it kind of because Americans were so confident, you know. It's like, we're yes. so Canadian. It's like, oh my God, these people, you know, and, and, and you start to buy into it. You go,
2: shit, they must be able to do anything because yeah. they think they can. <laughs> I agree. But I mean, I, I saw yeah. um, I saw Chilliwack play a couple of years ago. Um, at the, mm. uh, the Like, you know, at a casino kind of thing. They're, they're still ripping, man. Those guys were great. And uh, I remember um, Bill Henderson talking about, you know, California Girl... And being like, you know, we wrote a yeah, yeah. song, we were trying to get big down there. You know, we were, we had these, this idea, you know, to write these t- songs that would kind of, would take us there, you know. And uh, I kind of work to that. I don't think it really worked. Yeah. No. Whereas you had a hit in the States. Yeah. How about that? You know, the last song did well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which is great. Did you, did it get you, t- I mean, uh-huh. did you, yeah, did it get you down there? Did you play down there? Yeah, but all kind of,
1: um, you know, the things that I really liked, but there were there weren't what you'd call um, prestigious jobs. You know, they, it would be like Disneyland, which sounds so hokey. But oh, yeah. so I really had a good time. It's like, wow, this is great. You totally. The, the stage, the first time was a stage that came up out of the ground. And you come up and you're playing as you come out. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, I know. Um, and then playing um tv shows I did some tv shows which i really like tv because it's like recording only you don't have to do anything just show up you know
2: what if your string breaks though? um yeah, yeah really yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we played the tracks actually they brought tracks down yeah. and sang the tracks so it
2: was like, like not lip sync but it was play sync i guess yeah I'd the say. kind of classic classic style i guess yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah well um anywho yeah that's great man it's really nice to talk to you about all this stuff
1: it's great talking to you
2: yeah I wondered last thing maybe um about your publishing business and and what that's all about
1: not much it was just you know figuring out ahead of time that publishing um and I never even figured it out all completely back then uh, anyway um publishing was just giving up half of your song to a company, um, that maybe would do something and maybe they wouldn't. Yeah. And, um, before we signed, I had read a book called this business of music and got a whole bunch of information from it and went, Oh, you know what? We could just hold on to the publishing and, um, why not? You know, like what's going to happen. And, um, it worked out well. It, they sent a, a person up from capital U.S. To, to say, you know, to get the publishing. And and I'm saying, no, well, nah, no, we're not really going to do that. And he, you know, got kind of heavy and said, well, you know, you may not be releasing a record then. And we had already, we signed like a week before. You know, we'd signed a deal a week before. <laughs> Nobody told him that. So yeah. we kept the publishing, which, again, was a great thing um, and maybe me, ah, it was a great thing. The songs themselves, including last song, were not what I would call coverable songs. They're not the kind of songs that other people would, sure. would reach out and immediately, you know what I mean? Like if you're going to have a big hit and people are going to do that song, if they want to, you don't have to sell it. If you don't have a big hit, then sure. You know, a publisher can work it and pitch it to people and get them, and you know, maybe this and maybe that, get them to do it. But that's a lot of what you give up to get that done. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, do
2: you know what I mean. Make, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, it makes sense totally. But then, who who is going after your money for you? You were just going to get it from yourself, like you know, your publishing money and stuff. Just
1: yeah, just so can or you know used to be called k collected uh, airplay mm-hmm. um and then Harry Fox would collect mechanicals from US and I can't remember who collected mechanicals from Canada and that was sort of sort of it never really did other deals i met people who did publishing deals but it seems so convoluted like yeah i don't know i'm not real crazy about that you know yeah
2: this is uh, quite pertinent, actually, that you're bringing this stuff up right now. In uh, my career, I just, uh, you know, you could be the guy who makes me make a decision to, uh, to not let someone administer my publishing, you know, or maybe to let them. We'll see. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I was really surprised and yes. impressed by that, Larry. That that you maintained that because a lot of artists are so mystified by that part of the industry and the fact that you were able to recognize that early on. And now publishing is. In, it's insane and you're seeing Bob Dylan sell his catalog for hundreds of millions of dollars and all this stuff now. But, you know, when, when you said it was a, it was a good thing that that you're able to, uh, and miraculous timing with that guy from Capital, Cause that was one Is like, how did he manage to keep his publishing, signing a deal at, at that time? And even today, a lot of artists are so confused about what they're giving up when they get involved with a company like that. And it can have really long-term ramifications.
1: And and I know, and nobody really would go into good explanations for them. I I would
2: blame whoever's giving them advice at the time, you know? Sure. You You don't want to end up like John Fogarty, do you? Where you like... You know those scary. You get
1: sued because you did a song that's too much like your other song. That's (laughs) funny, actually.
2: (laughs) Or even you know the Beatles. You know it's like Michael Jackson bought it all, didn't he? All the Beatles back catalogue and things like that.
1: I know. Crazy, but I blame I blame Paul for that. I mean, he was just being cheap. I think
2: you know he could have done that. He could have done the deal. Interesting. Yeah. Did you listen to Paul McCartney's newest record? came out no. this year. is no, it good no it's not <laughs> <laughs> you know actually it, well, it's, pretty... it's not you know you, did, did, were you you know his first record mccartney is solo record then mccartney 2 those kind of self-recorded home recording kind of weird records he made and you know one in yeah yeah uh, one at the end but i think between abbey road and let it be and then the other one was late later on you know 70 late 70s you know, I kind of was excited for his nuance. I thought, oh, he's going to just you know be on the mulligan tire with his tape machine and you know plug into it and play everything. You know, and but it 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 wasn't. Yeah. You know, it didn't sound like that. So it's a bit disappointing. It just kind of sounded sort of sterile and weird and sterile and you know. But you know, he can do whatever he wants. I'm sure he's not too worried about what I. He think
1: can do him. whatever he wants. I mean, it's just there really should be a time when everybody has some, maybe it's just a ghost who would tap you on the shoulder and go, nah, you know, this this is the time to stop, you know know what I mean?
2: The ghost of John?
1: The ghost of whoever, yeah, just to to keep you in line. Who was, um, I have a friend who um, goes to every classic rock thing he can see, like to see people, you know, from the old days. Yeah. And like the Four Seasons and things like that, and he went to see... Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was at Casino Rama, but somewhere. And he was lip syncing. Oh. He was yeah. so old. They said the guy had to kind of help him out on stage, you know, like walk out and then stand there and look like you're singing. Would sound, of course, exactly like he did because it was a tape. Yeah, that's pretty. And that's just wrong. I mean, that's, I'm sorry, that is just wrong. Yeah, that's, that's somebody should tap it. him on the shoulder and say,
2: "Don't do that." You know, so, well, you're making a fool of yourself, Frankie. You know, Just surely he doesn't need the money. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, people get married multiple times. So they probably do need somebody yeah, at times. True, <laughs> those <laughs> things can happen. We see. Yeah, Yeah. But you know, oh. he's famous for his falsetto, isn't he? So it's like, yeah. So I mean, no, I've got this great idea
1: for a machine. If you know anybody technical, okay. a machine that would change voices, because you can, as you know, you can do that, right? With the, just the the desk you use, you know, you can change so many things on the. Yeah. But if you could analyze and change the frequencies on the person's voice, so that you could recapture their young voice,
2: okay? Do you know what I mean? Kind voices kind get like, deeper, uh, like yeah, kind of like um, uh, Scorsese with the Irishman, you know. Giving all the given oh like, God yeah that's yeah, right visually I yeah, forgot like that an auditory version of that
1: exactly and that that person still would have to sing they if you heard them in the room they sang in, they would sound like an old man singing or an old woman or whatever sure. yeah but their phrasing and everything would trigger. The correct frequencies back from whatever age and you'd have a dial you could go to the age they want to i just think it would be wonderful for people like 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 linda rodstadt can't sing at all anymore yeah because of what is it parkinson's wouldn't it be great to do that and just go here linda plug in here okay now do this click 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 that'd
2: be so cool it would be but you know we you're talking about frankie valley here and like you know Allowing him his falsetto back. But one of my favorite Frankie Valley songs is the theme from Greece, and he doesn't sing it falsetto, interestingly enough. No, that's true, too. He just yeah. is, is normal, kind of, yeah, high pitched voice. You're which, right. kind of, which is kind of funny because it was written by the Bee Gees for another falsetto guy, and he came in and just sung it normal, you know. Oh, really? I just, yeah, well, I just kind of assume that they wrote it because it's definitely a Bee Gees production, and you'd Ooh. imagine they were thinking Frankie Valley will show up and just. You know, he'll rip it falsetto, and then he just kind of sings it normal. You know? Yeah, yeah. Huh. I don't know. Oh God, we could go on. We could go on for hours. Yeah, I. Yeah, we could. We certainly could. But but I've got to go and make this uh, machine that you just talked about. So uh, yeah, know. well, keep me posted on that. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's your idea, but yeah, I'll be. I won't be like a. A publishing shark lawyer shark who says it's my no that'd be that'd be nice no i won't do that
1: that'd be nice that'd be really good
2: um
1: anyway james it was great talking to you and uh we'd love to meet you someday yeah and you too joseph i'd love to meet you someday
0: well thank uh, you both
2: when covid's over and and traveling's easier i'm I'm often in toronto and certainly playing shows but hanging out but we should get a coffee or something
0: oh absolutely i would love that for sure yeah yeah
2: cool okay
0: and Joseph, what about you? Are you ever in Toronto? Or- I I am, yeah. Usually, usually once a year, I'm I'm out there. And I have this, I'll mention this. I have this thing where you know, whatever metric you use for success, people ask me when you know what is it for you. And I say when I get to the place where if I wanted to, I could buy a horse. Nice. I'll feel satisfied. It means I got some land and I got a bit of a nut to pay for a horse every month. So so you know, I, I'm I'm aiming for for where you're at. Okay. Okay. Whether or not <laughs> that, I actually get the horse, just
1: to warn or not, you, I don't know. But well, I tell you, just to warn you, they're a black hole. They're very much like a <laughs> sailboat. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're gonna pour money in there, and <laughs> and it's not usually. With our best horse, the one that who who went to the Olympics and got a silver medal with the team, nice. as a jumper, the best one. He literally, and this is honest to God true. I'm not exaggerating. He would every year he'd be doing great and he'd be earning money, you know, and he'd be paying his way until he got to the point where it was made enough for the year and he'd break down. Yeah. Like he'd be, you know, Oh, I got a sore, I got a sore leg. I can't jump. You know, like, and I mean, somehow he knew that he'd done everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I paid for myself. I don't
0: have to work anymore. Every year it was amazing. Amazing. Anyway, sir, that's a horror story. Well, thank um, you both okay. for, for doing um, this. This has been it's such a treat to listen into you two, uh <laughs> rapping. It's been fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure yeah. talking.
0: Well, to that's you. great. Thank you for setting up, Justin. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, well, we'll talk sometime. Yeah, yep.
2: take care. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.